This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Garden of Sound, I'm your host Ian Turner. On today's show you'll have the pleasure of hearing from Ireland's own Vanessa Monaghan. But first, tickets are selling fast for Garden of Sound Live. It's happening in just under a month at the Exchange Cafe in Christchurch. Advanced tickets are just $10 plus booking, and for that you get three amazing bands to enjoy, Lotus, Dear No One and Malenko. You can book right now via eventbrite.com. Just search for Garden of Sound, or you could just follow the links from gardenofsound.nz. But do please get in quick before tickets sell out. Today's guest is Vanessa Monaghan. It's a departure from Garden of Sound as Vanessa was born and raised in Ireland. She's an audio engineer, publicist and promoter. She's a musician and a radio presenter and producer for Ireland's RTE. On my recent trip to London, I had the pleasure to catch up with Vanessa to talk about some of the amazing bands she's worked with and how to get ahead in the music industry. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Vanessa Monaghan on Plains FM 96.9. Vanessa, what was the first memory of music in your life? Um, This is actually quite an easy one for me. I was probably about three years old and we were living in Kells in County Meath in Ireland. Um, it was in a housing estate, which, you know, they're, they're like three bed semi-detached kind of things. Uh, we were number 36. Um, I was the eldest child. Um, but I remember, I remember hearing the Bay City Rollers on the, on the radio. I love the Bay City Rollers. Uh, give a little love. Uh, bye bye baby. That was... Uh, I don't know, it was about two and a half or three or something, and I demanded to have that so we could play it on the turntable. Um, but I remember that there was like an old electric radiator that had air vents in it. So it was kind of a, a white air vent thing. It had a top on it, but the holes in it were black. So it looked like it was a piano. And I remember hearing the Bay City Rollers on the radio and trying to play the electric radiator because it looked like a piano. Was there anything else uh, from your parents that it was an influence? Um, well, my mum, my mum was very much. They were both actually very much into. They still are very much into into music. Um, they're seventy one now. They go dancing every Sunday night. They're you know they're where are you going? I go home for a weekend or whatever, and it's like okay, you're staying at home. We're going out. It's like okay, bye. Don't 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 ruin our rep, you know. Um, they'd, I'd probably ruin their street cred if I went out with them, but they would be very much into the show bands the, the, in Ireland in the late sixties. Well, mid sixties onwards, there was a big show band, um, almost phenomena really. Uh, Describe you, show band to me. Right, a show band, you could have up to maybe six, seven, eight guys in a band. Um, they would play all the hits all the time. Um, it's like a big band. A big band, really. Um, some of the some of the real big names would have been Larry Cunningham. There would have been Big Tom. They ventured into playing everything from rock and roll to country and Irish. So um, I'm trying to think of uh, someone that your listeners might know. Of. Now there are people like uh, Nathan Carter who would be well known on the country and Irish scene. He would have the same kind of vibe. It would be 
get up and dance music they might they might actually cover other people's music as well so they do their own uh rendition like kind of like a the whole Scylla Black thing in in England here there was Scylla and was it Dionne Warwick they had a thing going in the 60s where Dionne Warwick would re- record a track in the US and then maybe have a hit with it in the US but by the time she came over here to the UK to record it Scylla Black would have already released a song over here um so it was the same kind of thing they they kind of played each other's songs and it was a, a big there was a big big dance hall scene um and you, you can still if you're in rural ireland you can still see these big dance halls uh many of them derelict or being knocked down or being used for other things now uh where my mum is from in county calvin it's near the the border with northern ireland but in the middle of nowhere like the, the biggest town or the nearest town is maybe five miles away and there's nothing around. There's nothing. It's just a road. It's like a ring road to get you from one place to another. There's nothing there. But there was this big dance hall. Everybody played there. I remember even as a kid going into the early 80s. Um, Phil Coulter was married to a singer called Geraldine Brannigan. I don't know if they're still together. Hey, hope you are. Um, but... I remember my aunt going to see Geraldine Brannigan and I thought she was cool because at the time she was the only female that was fronting one of these bands that I knew of. And the fact that my aunt could go and bring home a big, huge, I don't know, it was A1 or A0 poster for me. I had that poster on my wall for years. So in the early 80s then, for me, there would have been Geraldine Brannigan on my wall. There would have been Adamant, Rand Rand, George Michael. Spandau Ballet, all those guys, Boy George as well. I was a huge Boy George fan for a while. Um, but it was, there was always this kind of a cornucopia of different, different cultures. Like I knew that Ireland was always a very poor country. Um, and I knew that no one had a huge amount of money. So some people lived in England, but to us, England was very far away, away, even though we still got the same TV shows, a lot of the same things. And I remember that I couldn't understand how my mum and dad had never seen the Beatles live. And I was like, well, why not? They were huge, absolutely huge. So why did you not see the Beatles? But they were never really big Beatles fans because they went to the more local guys. So they always supported the local music rather than, you know, the big international acts, really. Let's go back to Vanessa at an early age. Was there any kind of musical tuition in the house or a school? I did go to keyboard lessons. I I sang in the local folk group as well in church. Yeah, I know many people, if they know me and they're listening, they'll find that hard to believe. But um, I went for the music. I I couldn't give a toss about anything else. No disrespect to anyone, but I couldn't give I, I was just there for the tunes. Um, I did that from when I was about 11, sang at weddings. I loved that, absolutely loved it. Um, did that a lot, got involved in, like, I think somewhere along the way that um, I was never, I suppose I was never really that confident, um, but I took part in a school musical of Oliver Twist. And uh, I think that was pretty good as well. And that people loved that, which kind of gave me a bit of a boost. But I was always into radio. Um, I remember the first time I ever saw 
the the back of a Wham record, I'm Your Man. Um, it said Engineered by Chris Porter. And I was like, I want to do that. Who is Chris Porter? Chris Porter is a legend. He is a fantastic sound engineer. He's worked with uh, Lisa Stansfield. He's worked with George Michael. He did a like all the Make It Big stuff for, for Wham. Um, he did some stuff with some Irish bands as well. Um, he's done stuff with loads and loads of people. Very respected guy. You talked about um, influences or bands that you were listening to or adorned the walls of your bedroom, Spandau Ballets and Duran Durans and so yeah. on. Any particular musical influences which sort of sent you on your way or in particular directions growing up? Um, I, I, George Michael has always been um, a huge influence. I've always loved his music. I've always loved the production, how he, I, I, the fact that George Michael was always self-sufficient, I love that. He taught himself, no, he didn't play guitar in faith, we know that, but he taught himself how to do everything else. He was like 21 and he had, he was the first person to uh, write, release, record, produce, whatever, a record with um, uh, a different corner in the UK. And he was a huge, huge influence. Um, but I, listening to music, I think, took little bits of turns for me. And I absolutely, towards the, the late 90s, there was people like, to be honest, Butch Vig. I absolutely adored and still adore Garbage. Absolutely adore them. I think his, his own uh, production on version 2.0 is just amazing absolutely amazing he's got some great plugins too on pro tools yeah you know it's yes yes and um, i mean he he's such an influential person in the whole music world um but i've always loved garbage i i like i like to be able to hear dynamics i like songs i like production that you can go back to again and again and that you can hear something different every time um there are some songs there are some people yeah sometimes it's nice to have a simple production but i just like something that you can get lost in is there a particular track from an artist or a producer that you want to play right now yeah why not um seeing as i spoke about garbage let's play push
This is the noise that keeps me awake My head explodes in my body This is the Garden of Sound interview with Vanessa Monaghan on Plains FM 96.9. Vanessa, what was the first gig that you attended that you, um, you shelled out some euros for? Well, there were old Irish pounds at that stage. Very good. Um, I went to see, I think the very first one, the very first gig that I, I proper gig that I went to was not actually a gig as such. It was <laughs> as such, yeah, I'm thinking about it. It was... Um, I think it was at um, Ireland's first legal house party. Um, Please explain. Basically, the summer of love happened in 1987-88. That's what it's called here in the UK, where dance music um, basically came from the underground into the charts. Uh, You got things like S-Express, Bomb the Bass, um, pump up the volume, Mars, you know, all that kind of thing was getting, it was, it was no longer just, you know, an underground club scene. Uh, you, you were hearing them on Top 40 radio. And there was some bands that um, were around that time, if you want to call them bands, there was uh, artists, there was uh, like the Rebel MC, there was Betty Boo, there was uh, Adamski, who I actually was thrilled to be able to interview a couple of years ago on my own radio show um such a knowledgeable guy such a nice guy as well and he's been through uh, so much and he's still making music like nearly 30 years later he's fantastic um but all these guys uh they got together and trying to combat the drug culture that was surrounding these underground raves uh a lot of in the uk it, it hit home a lot more where people were going into that pulp song sort for ease and whiz uh will kind of show you that everybody gathered in a big field and yeah they'd stay there for the weekend and then get off their face but ireland didn't really have that if it did i didn't know about it because it was about 16 um but what happened was some promoters got all these artists that were doing had gone into the top 40 and put them into the point depot and started at eight o'clock at night and went on till the following day and it was great it was great uh betty boo candy flip adamski um yeah my poor dad was waiting outside for me <laughs> i want to talk about you've obviously performed a lot of roles done a lot of jobs yeah 
uh, I want to talk about something that sticks out in your mind. Some some places in Ireland really didn't want to take any risks themselves. Some of the venues just wanted they wanted people. They presumed that if you if you were booking bands, the people will come. Uh, they did not want to put enough into the, right. This was the age of, of MySpace. Um, so the only way that you could get the word out was, uh, you know, forums, forums or MySpace, really. And people were starting to use MySpace and advertising gigs and things like that. But it was it was still very much we have to go and post at the town before anybody is going to know anything that's going on. Um, all this all this information, though, that I I had learned, I. I then somehow managed to put together a, an Irish tour for Sophie B. Hawkins. Um, Sophie, I always loved Sophie's music. Um, first time I heard Damn I Wish I Was Your Lover was on a Thursday night on Top of the Pops. I got off my break. I was working in the pub at the time. Went down to the record shop down the road and bought. Wore it out. Went back and got another copy. Um, and I always thought that she got a bit of a raw deal as I had thought. Well, she she did. Uh, she had released a couple of albums. She had a row with Sony. She was basically an independent artist again. Just tell me, where is uh, Sophie B. Hawkins from originally? Sophie is from New York, uh, but she was living in L.A. So you got the copy of the album? Yeah, got the copy of the album, listened to it. It was very raw. It was very open. It was very, it was just, it was just, Ah, oh, it was just the right time. It was just the right album, I think, for me as well at the right time. It's called Timber, or as I like to say, Tambre, because we're close to France. There was a couple of things that really, really jumped out. She got on the Dawson's Creek soundtrack, and there was all these things happening around. Around that was what early two thousands. Yeah, it would have been early two thousands. All that kind of thing was happening, and her songs from that album were featured a good bit on on Dawson's Creek and it's some movie soundtracks and things like that, and. She said something or someone said something on, on one of her forums that she was going to England. And I had been asking for a while, is there any chance you'd come and do some gigs here? And her manager got in touch and said, give me a call. Um, because basically I said, if you need a hand, I'll give you a hand if I can. So I got in touch. Her manager was Gigi Gaston, who uh, is a screenwriter and filmmaker. And the rest, within within a couple of months, Sophie was playing to sold-out audiences in Dublin. How many dates did she do? It's, it's weird because it was supposed to be two, officially two. Right, so basically, this happened over an Easter bank holiday weekend. And Sophie arrived into Ireland on a good Friday and called me and said, Gigi called me and said, hey, we've arrived. And one of the most surreal moments ever was hearing Sophie B. Hawkins in the background, down the phone, playing a banjo, playing Lose Your Way. That's just, you know, it was like, whoa, this is real. Do you know what I mean? This is actually happening. Um, Bank holiday, she was actually supposed to go on uh, Ireland's biggest TV show. And... Unfortunately, it fell through because one of the cores came home. Yeah, what you do? 
actually do bank holiday weekend cores at home they're going to give it to the cores aren't they um but the saturday afternoon we had arranged that sophie did an in-store in terror records i have never seen anything like it i really have never seen anything like it it was just uh sophie came over with Ed Roth, who is a well-known session keyboard player. Uh, there's some documentaries on Netflix, actually, and Ed pops up here and there. Which, that one, actually, that's, is it, what's it called? The Hired Gun, I think it's called. Ed pops up in that. Um, but it, it was just amazing. You get you get in stores and people just stand around and they loiter and they're like, down the far side of the store and nobody's taking any, you know, they're too they're too cool to even look at what's going on. This was just incredible, absolutely incredible. There must have been, she sold a shed load of CDs, that's all I know. Um, but there was, it was like all, all the, some of the, the uh, movable stalls, the movable shelves had to be pushed back. Um, there was people sitting everywhere on the floor. No one could get in or out of the store. It was just everybody sat down and listened. And it was just amazing because I'd never seen anything like that there. I think it's about time to uh, to hear one of your, your favourite tracks. Perhaps a Sophie B Hawkins number. Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually play. I think California, here I come. Um, Why is that special to you? It's off her first album. I I I could play a hundred Sophie songs. I really could. Um, I love a song called 32, uh, 32 Lines. Um, I Walk Alone. There's so many, like that album, Timber, The Darkest Child, the production on that is amazing. Uh, but from a sound engineering point of view as well, I've always loved California, Here I Come. And when back in my, my um, mastering days and whatever, I'd always check my speakers with California, Here I Come. Why specifically? Um, the very start, the very, very start of the album version, there's a uh, a guy in one of the speakers that says Sophie Mary Beth or something like that. Uh, so it would also always, always know that my speakers and the studio was wired up properly. That always. But then um, the whole California, here I come. I had a bit of a love affair with California, still do. Um, unfortunately, I won't be there as long as there's an orange-haired person in charge. But um, I've always had this kind of love affair with uh, California. I uh, haven't been there in many, many years, but um, it this song always was kind of like a, a little bit of an anthem. Sophie, very bad. Yeah. 
is the Garden of Sound interview with Vanessa Monaghan on Plains FM 96.9. Thanks for being part of Garden of Sound. I just want to bring your attention to a very cool photographer working in Christchurch, and her name is Shannon Jessica. Now, I met Shannon while at the RockQuest Heats at St Margaret's College earlier this year. And apart from being a very nice person indeed, Shannon has a real gift for live music photography. She turned out some awesome work during that event, and she's done the same for a huge number of local bands. But Shannon also delivers stunning naturalistic portraits and some breathtaking shots of the outdoors. I thoroughly recommend if you're looking for a gig photographer or something a little different for your next photo shoot, then please do get in touch with her. And you can do that through her website. It's shannonjessica.wixsite.com forward slash photo. That's Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-A-N, Jessica, J-E-S-S-I-C-A, dot Wixsite, that's W-Y-X-S-I-T-E dot com forward slash photo. Now that forward slash photo is very important. Or if it's a little too much for you to take down, head to gardenofsound.nz right now and check out the partners page for the link to Shannon's website. Now coming up at the end of the program, I'm going to be playing you my track of the week. It's from a Dunedin band called Bad Sav off their new album. So please do stick around for that. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Vanessa Monaghan on Plains FM at 96.9. Uh, Vanessa, we just heard a track from uh, Sophie B. Hawkins. Uh, you were talking about young bands being able to find their way to yeah. to progress. Have you got any advice for any young bands wanting to wanting to get out and perhaps do it on their own, or perhaps they don't have a major label behind them? What's what's the biggest piece of advice you'd have for them 
to make it big, get their sound out? Um, I think the biggest thing that people have to remember is that the world doesn't owe you a living. You have to get out there and do it. You have to, it is a lot of hard work. Um, You have to, whether you like it or not, you're going to have to put yourself on social media. It's free. So you have to use it to your advantage. It's not going to cost you a penny to go and put a, a photo on Instagram every day or every second day. Let people know, share your story, get people involved. You have to build a community around around what you're doing now. Um, it's it's not just, it's not like it used to be that people put bands on pedestals anymore. They don't. Um, I was working with a band one time. A lot of stuff had, had gone really, really well. They came to me and asked me if I would be interested in, interested in working with them. This was around the time actually I was doing the Sophie stuff. Um, I've been working with a few bands. I've been organising releases for a few bands. And I was like, yeah, it'd be nice to get involved, more involved with the decision making with some bands and how things are going to go. I I considered myself like one of the members of the band. So it's all or nothing. We're in together. We're doing this. Uh, some of the band were living in Belfast. Some of them were in Dublin. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of issues in regards to um, when someone's working for you. If you're in a band, if you're not paying them, they have to make a living. What actually kind of snapped the whole relationship with that band was um, I wanted to sign a contract. I had been in touch with Network in Canada with over them or dealing with them. I'd also been in touch with Mercury Records here in the UK and they were getting a lot of response. Um, they won a XFM competition here in the UK for, I don't know, whatever it was. Um, it was like best band of the week or something like that. Now, the advantage that we had there was use all the forums, all the Irish forums to your advantage. If it's a public vote, get everybody in Ireland or everybody in your neck of the woods. Go for the international things, not just your local things. Um, if it's online and you have a good, solid community in your area, use that community to your advantage. You're not all competing against each other. You can unify and, you know, better your music by if there's one band up for something, go and vote for them in this, you know, whatever happens to be a competition for some international recognition. They mightn't be your favourite band, but give them a little hand. And that was a phenomenal door opening experience as well, because that meant that they were played like every day, prime time for a week. Um, that led to some uh, licensing deals with Channel 4 here in the UK. Uh and with O'Neill Sportswear, uh, which is, you know, this is a little band. They had recorded, they had recorded two songs. I was trying to get them into the studio. No, we can't get into the studio yet. You need more music. No, somebody will pay for it for us. You need to go in and record more music. They couldn't get it. They, they, it just wasn't going in that you can't survive a year on two songs. You need more and I was working with other bands. I was doing CD duplication and helping bands, other bands with releases. But these guys were my priority. Um, these were these were more of a passion project than anything else. But 
it got to a stage if with the with the steps and the progress that I had been making in a few months, just a really short space of time in a few months, we had to we had to sit down and knock out some sort of a deal that we knew legally where we were going to stand, because if I was going to work with them any longer, we needed to know exactly what was going on. And um, the deal that they wanted me to sign, I could not sign it. What's that band gone on to do now? I'm still friendly with one of the guys out of the band uh, who I always loved. Hi, Marty. Um, The band were called the Beat Poets. They probably do have a different side to the story, but every band, there's always like three sides to the truth, isn't there? But they were such, such a good band. Such a good band. They had, John was an amazing, amazing frontman. Um... They went on and they played South by Southwest after that and they recorded a couple of EPs and had a few videos, but ah, to what could have been. Is there a track by the Beat Poets you'd like to play? I still adore Staring Stars Down.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Vanessa Monaghan on Plains FM 96.9. Vanessa, we've gone all over the shop, as they say. Is there an unfulfilled goal or fantasy or anyone that you like to work with in particular down the track? They say never meet your heroes. And I always wanted to, I always wanted to meet George Michael, but I didn't want to meet him. The same way as I knew where his house is up the road or whatever, but never wanted to go there because I didn't want him to be horrible. And I would hate to be the person to piss him off. Um, I The only other person I would have ever really put on a pedestal like that is Baz Luhrmann. I love Baz's work. I think he's amazing. Um, I think that the melding of Craig Armstrong's visuals or, or Craig Armstrong's audio with the visuals and everything is just like Romeo and Juliet is an amazing, amazing movie. Um, and I managed to meet Baz by chance, by complete chance at St Pancras um, train station last year. Yeah, I'm glad I met Baz, but now that I've met Baz, I wish I met George. Is there a George Michael song you'd like to play? Yeah. Um, here, Here is the whole fangirling thing, really. Um, I've seen George eight times live which I'm quite happy about. Super fan. Super fan. I went to see him like six or seven times on the 25 live tour and I saw him play uh, symphonic tour as well and I was lucky enough to interview his backing singers for my own radio show. But um, when I was working with Sophie Hawkins, um, Sophie did the gig in Dublin and this guy... She had she had a session uh, keyboards Ed that came with her, but she didn't have a bass player. And then this guy turned up, and Gigi Sophie's manager said, um, "Hey, do you mind if uh, a bass player turns up and plays with Sophie tonight?" And I said, "As long as he can play bass, do you know what I mean?" It was like I didn't know who she was talking about, and I was like, "As long as he can play bass," and she, she said, "Yeah, he can. He's George Michael's bass player." And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. And I met Steve. And uh, Steve turned out then to play uh, play on an EP with uh, a guy that I know, Robin James Hurt. Uh, he was in a band called The Band of Midnight, what was it? The Band of Midnight Dreams or Midnight Blues, something like that. They played together and they did some pub gigs and things like that. Real low key thing that you wouldn't expect I remember the first night, um, myself and my sister, Corey, went to see George and it was in the Point Depot. It was a Thursday night and I have been waiting, like, I don't know, what age was I? I've been waiting since the age of 10 or 11 to, for, for this night. And it was like, I was pumped. I was so pumped. And I was like, I hope he's good. It's the, the same thing as again, never meet your heroes. I hope he's good. I hope he's good. I hope he's good. He hasn't toured in years. Oh, man, I hope he's good. You know, you don't want, you don't want, the, the one thing I think that you don't want is this epic, this epic hero status that you have built up for someone to be crushed by something devastatingly horrible. You do not want that to happen. So we went in, uh, we were there, I was like second from the front. Um, the place was hopping. It was 
the, there was such a fantastic atmosphere. It was really a celebration of everything that George had ever done. Uh, he did a song from the song for the siren as he did, and then the the screen came back, and the screams and everything were just, just they were deafening. They were like what you would expect for a boy band. They really were. Or the Beatles back then. Yeah, the day. yeah, it it was deafening. Um, and he starts into Flawless. And then Flawless was a dance tune from like the early 2000s. And George basically uh, got it, add some vocals and kind of gave it a little bit of a an edge. But this was kicking in live. And then uh, Steve's bass kicked in. And it's it was the time, you know, when you're, you're just standing there and the bass just gets you. And it gets you right in the chest and it's like, my God, it's good to be alive. That's what that's what flawless always reminds me of. Like no other. Flawless. Absolutely flawless. Flawless. Absolutely flawless. Maybe tonight. Flawless. Absolutely flawless.
no other. Flawless, absolutely flawless. Okay, it's time for my track of the week, and it's a little number from Dunedin band Bad Sav. They've been around a little while, and this track is called Labradoodle.
Thank you so much for joining me today. That was Dunedin band Bad Sav with a track called Labradoodle off their new album, Bad Sav. Huge thanks to today's guest, Vanessa Monaghan. If you'd like to find out more about Vanessa, then please visit gardenofsound.nz and click her image on the front page. That'll take you to a page with a Spotify playlist of all the songs we talked about today and also links to her radio show, The London Ear. Next week, I bring a bag home. It's Garden of Sound Live inaugural players, Class Disruption. There are four piece who are way more talented than any early teens have the right to be. It's going to be a cracker, that one. Until then, I'm Ian Turner. I look forward to bringing you Garden of Sound, same time, next week. <laughs>